into a new Sunday school class. It's very exciting. And some of you are like, no, I don't want to miss history. Well, the other class is history. I know. <laughs> All right, move on. That's horrible, Michael. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, it's, it's begun. Anyway, so let me start off with a, with a quick question. Which of these familiar logos are you most personally familiar with? Which one would you say? Yeah, that. That's the one that I connect with the most. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All of them. Which is that one? Oh, it's the only one I'm questioning. Is that Monopoly or is that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't answer. Don't answer. Okay. Mr. This is a trick question because the answer is absolutely none of these. None of these exist. Absolutely none of these are actual I thought, logos. I thought the Monopoly thing was wrong. They're what people tend to think of, but they're not. My baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My baloney has a second name. It's M-E-Y-E-R. No, M-A-Y-E-R. But everybody says, yeah, but that's Oscar Mayer. No, it would be Oscar Mayer, right? Or people refer to Cheez-Its. Like each one of these is an individual Cheez-It. You go, no, 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 each one of those is a cracker. The brand is Cheez-It. We're cheesing it. It's a Cheez-It cracker. And people go, yeah, can I have some Cheez-Its? But, but there is no Cheez-Its. There's no plural to it. Fruit Loops is Fruit Loops. Uh, Looney Tunes is Looney Tunes. It's never been Looney Tunes, T-O-O-N-S. He has never had a monocle. But people conflate this with the peanut guy. Um... Pardon me? Yeah. So my point is, we tend to look at these things and we go, yeah, 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 I'm familiar with that. Actually, you only think that you are. Like Berenstein Bears? No, it's Berenstein. A-N-I. Stain, like you have a stain on your shirt. Stain. And most people get that wrong. In fact, um, there's a famous videotape that says Berenstein Bears. The people making the video clearly said, obviously, no, the publisher's wrong. This is the way it's always been spelled. Um, what's that stuff you spray to make smells go in your house? How do you spell that? F-E-B-R-E-Z-E. One E. Not two E's in a row. Everybody thinks it's easy. My point is, but there are a lot of misconceptions out there. There's a lot of things that we think we know. And so what we're wanting to talk about this semester in Sunday School, some of the common misconceptions we have about the Bible. Now, some things we've already talked about in sermons and things like, for instance, Delilah cut Samson's hair. True or false? <laughs> oh, there was a pause? False! Delilah never, never cut his hair. That didn't happen in the, in the Bible. Um, so there are things that we think we know. We're familiar with them. But when you actually look at the Bible, you go, actually, it's not what I thought. Now, people gave me four ideas as to when I asked, hey, what should we talk about in Sunday school? People gave me four ideas, uh, one of which is going to work well for our small group to do as a Bible study. So I can do that. Another one was a Bible book. And I think that's going to actually work best to do in the spring semester because of some scheduling stuff. So that's over there. Somebody else said, how about we do Bible misconceptions about things that people think they know about Scripture? So we're doing that. Somebody else said, hey, can we talk about money? And other people said, hey, can we not talk about money? So we're, gonna, <laughs> we're talking about misconceptions, but the first misconception we're going to talk about is about money, specifically tithing. Already dissatisfied with the bone being thrown. Anyway, so today we're going to talk about tithing because people on, on, on every side of an equation have some misconceptions about that. Let me ask another true or false question. True or false, the Bible tells Christians to tithe. Anybody want to say true, the Bible tells us to tithe? I kind of do. I'll be wrong. How many people say false, the Bible doesn't tell us to tithe? Okay, now, thank you for thank you for all going. Misconception. Good, you're you're thinking, because it's not quite that simple. I can't say true, and I can't say false. If I were to say true, I'd be inaccurate. If I said false, 
might be inaccurate. So it's a little bit more complicated than all that. It's worth talking about. Okay, first things first. What is a tithe? When you guys hear the word tithe, what's, what, what's tithe? What is a tithe? A tenth of what you earn. Does it have to be a tenth? Well, the other definition, I mean, it could be a tithe is a, a, a gift, of like a portion of giving. Okay. A portion of something that you make. Okay. Anybody else want to toss in? Well, I'm a huge fan. You know me. I'm a huge fan of etymology. I'm like, let's go back. What does the word itself mean? It comes from an old English word, tegola, meaning a tenth. That's what the word tithe comes from. But who cares what the English is? That's not what the Bible is written in. I don't know, but in terms of theologically. That points back to the Greek word apodekatal, which means to give a tenth. That's what was used in the New Testament when the University of Tide is talking about to give a tenth, which is the first century Jewish word, because they're using Greek there. First century Jewish word reflecting the old original Hebrew word ma'aser, meaning a tenth part. So what does the word tithe mean? A portion, yes? A gift, yes? A tenth. The word pretty much always means a tenth. That's what the word means. Which matches up, by the way, with what we know from a lot of other Near Eastern uh, governments and tithes and taxes and things like that. There was the Eshratu tax in Babylon, which was a tenth. That was common. Everybody was giving a tenth of their stuff to their leaders. So, okay. So God's people are supposed to give a tenth. Correct? We're commanded to do that. Okay, it's not quite that simple. Which we're going to hear a lot of today, actually. It's just, it's not quite that simple. Tithes are commanded in the Old Testament. So let's look at the tithes. Pull out your Bibles. Because we're not in history anymore. We're in the Bible. So, pull out your Bibles. Read, among other things. Somebody read me Genesis 14, 18 through 20. It's a sword drill. Genesis, oh, now you say yay. Youth director better be the first person there. Genesis 14, not to put the pressure on. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies at your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, so, first tithe we get here. Was it commanded or freely given? It's freely offered. Everyone said, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything. You're doing the work of God, but do. Here you go. Let's read another one. Genesis 28, 20 through 22. So it's kind of a non-issue, but so it was here. Not that we're told, but 
It's possible, but especially given the context here, it sure seems like Abram's like, let me do this. Or Jacob's like, I got a deal. Which, you know, Jacob at all. <laughs> it's Jacob. So, I, I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, I'm like, no, there have been other times. If you, if you remember, what was Cain's problem with his offering? His heart. It wasn't the right heart. Abel's like, I, I'm, I'm, something is dying here. I'm giving you the... I'm giving you a sacrifice, whereas Cain's like, here, take some stuff. I got plenty of it. And the attitude was wrong. You already were told in Scripture had a bad attitude going into it. So we're not really talking about this kind of tithe, but I'm talking about the idea of a commanded offering that is a tenth of your portion to go. Nope. The first two, specifically, I'm giving a full tenth of my stuff off the top had nothing to do, so far as we know, with any commands. Okay, somebody read Leviticus 27, 30, and 32. 31's nice, but it gets into complicated things I don't want to get into. Right now. So, Leviticus 27, 30, and 32. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The entire tithe of the herded flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rock, will be holy to the Lord. Okay. So was this command or freely given? Is this commanded or freely given? This is a command. This is the way things are. A tenth of a tenth of how much? A tenth of what? Everything. Plants. All the herd, right? A full tenth of all of it. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. So, now that this is commanded, does that mean that it is no longer something that's supposed to be a personal offering to the Lord? Sincerely given. No. I mean, it wasn't commanded before. We know in Genesis, and you may fault Jacob, you may say, well, Abram didn't need to... These first two were them out of the attitude of their hearts. Now, it's not, right? It's obedience, right? His questions first. That's totally What is made holy? Set apart for the Lord. Um, uh, is that sacrificed? Or is it, okay, that's God's over there, but I'm still going to raise him? What is it? Actually, okay, there's a couple of different ways that this, and, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do that. There's a couple of different ways that this is borne out in the Old Testament. There are some things where you're supposed to take it and give it to the Lord. In fact, there are some offerings where it's completely burnt up. You know, it's nobody gets this but God. Um, there are other things where you're supposed to sacrifice it and then everybody eats it. Or there are other things where you're supposed to bring it into the temple and give it to the temple. There are other things where you say, this is for the Lord, but you can buy it back from God. Um, so you, you say, this, this prize bull, this is going to the Lord. Except I could really use a prize bull. Um, and so the, the law says, great. Add some interest to that, and you can buy it back. You can't buy it back for its worth. You buy it back for its worth plus what's it, five percent or something like that. So it's like so. So this part of the command of the law is simply saying all those things fall in the category of the top ten percent. One in every ten is going to be given to the Lord. You go in what capacity? We'll get into that because there's there's different things for different times. But the point, the command here in, in these verses is. The thing that isn't negotiable or isn't a one out of every ten is specifically given to God. Sorry. Jane, you were saying? Okay, so I'm just wondering, because when I'm reading it, it doesn't necessarily say that to me that one out of every ten is specifically. But the tenth that you give belongs to the Lord. So not necessarily that you give a tenth, but the tenth that you give is set aside for the Lord. So if you were to give more, whatever's more, it might go to something else, but the tenth that you give. And that's, I I'm think just wondering if that's what that's, um, when you said if it's a because we're going to get into something that you're getting at here in a sec, all right? But what he's saying is, is here is one out of every ten is already God's. It's not even a matter of, should I give that to the Lord or not? It's, it's already his. It's, that's to be given to him. That's not Yep. But, remember what you're asking, because that's, Astute, and we're going to get to that in a second. All right. 
So why does the tithe being, I get to say astute, it's a good word. Why, why is the tithe being commanded now? It wasn't commanded before, necessarily, that we know of. Why, why suddenly is it now commanded? Yeah. Uh, because when they're uh, dividing everything up, and you got the Levites, and they're not going to have. Oh, no, no, okay, you get a quarter. She gets a nickel, you get a quarter. Let's go to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the very. No, sorry, some, some workmen got paid at the beginning of the day. <laughs> You're not complaining about them. A free nickel. The reason I'm giving them. I'll give him a dime. No, no. It's because it's the very next slide. There are 12 tribes in Israel, right? Right. Right. And then when they got back to Canaan, out of coming out of Egypt, everybody got their own inheritance, right? No, Levi got nothing, right? Everybody else got land. Levi gets nothing. What? Uh-huh. They're not on the map, though, is the thing. Here's what I'm saying. But again, as Emily's saying, that's not quite that simple. Oh, y'all very spiritual this morning. Oh, no. They get so much. You know, not on any map or anything, but, you know, where it counts. And everybody in the tribe of Levi goes, man, we rock. Really? We get nothing. Somebody read. Somebody read Numbers 18, 20 through 21. And this is what Emily is actually citing. So let's get to it. Because again, 18, it's, it's just not quite that simple. On the map, Levi gets no chunk of land like everybody else gets whole regions. Somebody read Numbers 18, 20 through 21. Okay, so now, obviously, when God says, no, no, I'm your inheritance, and this is going to be important, you get that. But you got to think, being Aaron, hearing the beginning of that sentence, you get nothing. No land for you. It's like, go on. You, know, you find out they get, what, at the very end of verse 21? What's a tithe? Tithe of everything. Okay. So the Levites are supposed to focus on serving in the tabernacle or the temple. They don't they don't have any land. They don't have a region on the map. So they're not supposed to be owning and cultivating their own land. That's not what it's supposed to be. But they're supposed to get a tenth of what the other eleven tribes were getting. So their portions bigger. Oh, you guys are just now you're now you're up to a quarter. Anyway. <laughs> Mathematically, they're getting more than everybody else. Is that fair? <laughs> you guys get nothing. Oh, you get a tenth of everybody's. All the other eleven. Every, the other eleven. Oh, okay. Hey. <laughs> now, somebody who's if, if you're still in Numbers eighteen, read twenty-four through twenty-nine. Through 29. Uh, oh, through 29. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you, will, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Okay, so everybody is giving a tenth of their stuff to the work of the Lord, including the Levites, right? So it's like, you guys don't have your own wine presses, you guys don't have your own flocks, but they do. And anything that you get and you give a tenth, it's as if you were giving from your wine press or from your flocks and things. Everybody is giving a tenth, ultimately toward the work of the Lord. 
So would that be net or gross here for those of you who are into financial things? What's the difference? What's net and what's gross? Net is after taxes. Gross is before taxes. Yeah. No, oh, wait. It's <laughs> gross is the big gross. Gross is the bigger number. Okay, fine. Would that be net or gross? Can I go gross. That'd be gross, right? What did he say at the beginning when we read through Leviticus? This, the first fruits. One in every ten cattle. You know, every ten cattle that I clear after tax, you know, one in every ten is already the Lord's. So technically this would be gross. Since, since I somehow got that flip-flop in my head. Again, Exodus 34. It's the first fruits. The, the top ten, the first stuff you get, that goes to the Lord. Before taxes. Okay, then. Uh, again, let's uh, let's let's not take too much of a calculator to this. But in general, everybody's giving roughly the same amount of things. Um, so why is a tithe being commanded now? Yeah, because now everybody's supposed to give a consistent tenth. Uh, because the institutionalized work of the Lord's temple and the priest is being budgeted around everybody giving a tenth. Yes? I might argue that there are other reasons okay. in addition to that. I think there's a lot of reasons. But yeah, what were you going to say? Well, part of the idea is God's trying to establish that you're my people. So understand that your stuff isn't coming from you. It's coming from me. And, and he's trying to get across an idea that he's, he's saying, you, you people, you are mine, and you, you yourselves are set aside. You yourselves are my people. So he's trying to make that point, I think. Well, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Which is technically the same point that Abel and, and, and Cain were supposed to be making. But this is now... I am purposely setting you aside, and this is as people, and so you need to purposely set aside, you know, stuff from 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 what I'm blessing you with. So yes, it is it is highlighting all of that. Okay. I just don't uh, think I don't think that you know. So the Levites will have something to eat. I don't think that's the only reason. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that either. Okay. Because yeah. oh. actually, it's not quite that simple. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this. You get a quarter too. Man, I'm just handing out money. But um, on the tithing Sunday, think that through. Okay. But yes, you're right. It, 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 why is it being commanded? Well, it's always been about what you're saying, and now it is highlighted because he's saying, I'm setting my people apart, and so I want you to set people things apart, which is what I've always told you to do. But I'm highlighting that. Also, everything is being budgeted around this. It's not just, I'm Abram, and I think this would be a nice statement to make with my family. You go, there's a whole temple system being set up here. There's a whole institution being set up here. And here's how you guys fit into it. And even that, there's more to it than that. The whole offering structure is set up on a cycle of seven years. Actually, seven sets of seven years. You know, year of Jubilee things. Okay. In Deuteronomy 14, 27, the people are told that over and above their basic tithe to support the Levites and the priests in the temple, they're supposed to present a second tithe during years 1, 2, 4, and 5 of the cycle of specific agricultural items to take to be consumed in Jerusalem. That's 20% now. And in Deuteronomy 14, 28-29, people are told over and above the basic tithe to support the Levites, the priests, the temple, they're supposed to present a third tithe during years 3 and 6 of that cycle. So, in every year other than the 7th, there's an additional tithe. What's a tithe mean? 10%. 10%. So you're up to 20%. And this one is specifically to feed the poor. So when we say, so people are supposed to give a tenth, you go, actually, you know, 20 the people are supposed to give two tithes, and tithe is what? A tenth. So this is 20%. In Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 6, they're told in year 7 that they're supposed to not even take in their crops, and supposed to cancel all debts, and everything's kind of a big old reboot. So a little bit different. 
When you total all the tithes and offerings that they're commanded to give on a regular basis, you actually earn more than a neighborhood of 23.3%. That's what they're commanded to give every year. That's when... Okay, you're making... What? I mean... Okay. That's what they're commanded to give of their total income to uh, uh, everything, not just money, plunking on a plate, but I mean, it's like everything, everything that they are. If you're a craftsman, the stuff that you make, if you're a farmer, the stuff that you grow, etc., to the Lord every year. That's what is commanded in the Old Testament. But it's not quite that simple. They're also encouraged to declare some things korban, or an offering, to be given over and above any of these commanded offerings. If there's anything, you're just like, oh, there's a need here. Oh, well, I already gave. You go, not to the need, you didn't. That 23.3%, that's, that's not up to you. But over and above that, if you wanted to give, that's great. In Mark 8, that's what Jesus says, you know, you Pharisees, you're, you're tied your spices, but then you declare things Corban. And all that money, all those resources that are supposed to be there to take care of your family, take care of your aged parents and things, you say, oh, that's Corban. That's to be used by the you, by the leaders of the temple for God's work. You go, you are the leaders of the temple. Oh, that's right. I guess I can't use that to help somebody else, like part of my family. I just have to use that to help myself. Because that's what the law says. So I get to keep everything, and I get brownie points with Jesus, with God, because I've set it apart as Corban. And Jesus is like, you do realize that's horrifically offensive, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're games playing here. If you give money specifically to support just you, so that you can hoard it, that's not a healthy thing. So we should give at least 23.3% of our total net income every year, plus potentially Corban over and above for specific ministries, since we're commanded by God to do so, right? Hopefully not. It's not quite that simple. <laughs> tie is commanded in the New Testament. We just talked about tie is commanded in the Old Testament, right? Tithe commanded in the New Testament. There are no tithes commanded in the New Testament. We're not commanded to, by Christians to give a tithe anywhere in the New Testament. You find it, knock yourself out. Please let me know. Email me. Tell me. Of course, it's not quite that simple, right? We're told that Paul asked for offerings to help the impoverished mother church in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says now about the collection for God's people, because they're starving in Jerusalem and they need our help. Actually, several letters that allude to this. But he says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve, and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Right? It's in keeping with your income, a percentage of your income, and that's what a tithe is, right? No. A tithe is not giving a portion in percentage of your income. A tithe is a tenth. This isn't a tithe. This has nothing to do with your tithes. This is Corban. This is over and above any tithes. The church in Jerusalem really needs your help. So whatever you're giving already, that's great. This is this. And no percentages are given, just you guys make a decision here. In fact, that's what he says in 2 Corinthians 9-7. You guys got to figure out in your own hearts what you're going to give. And then, and then give that. That's between you and the Lord. So, our Christian tithe, we're supposed to give what we feel in our hearts is right. No percentage is given, correct? No, because that's... Paul is talking about Corban here, not about the tithe. It's nothing about the tithe. That has nothing to do with that. It's an over and above thing. That's then the yellow part of this, Right? over and above any tithe. Besides, to whom is Paul writing any of this? He's writing to the Galatians, the Corinthians, who are what? Gentiles? The vast, the vast majority of Christians that he's writing to are Jewish. Paul always went where? First? Every place he ever went. Always starts with the synagogue. Are there also, are there also Gentiles there? Yeah. Paul's a Roman citizen. Uh -huh. Paul's a Jew. Jesus was a Peter was a yeah. The vast majority of Christians at this time are Jewish. Right? 
Christian Jews aren't thrown out of the synagogue until the vast majority of the books of the New Testament are written. Maybe, what, two books in the New Testament written? Maybe three after, after the, we were thrown out of the synagogue? Everything that Paul wrote was before we were thrown out of the synagogue. Which means that all of what Paul is asking as an offering to support other ministries is being suggested over and above whatever Jewish tithe at least Jewish Christians are already paying, which is how much? 23.3%. Remember, the Jews included the consistent payment of tithing as part of, or, or not Jews, I should put that. Jesus included the consistent paying of tithes as what a righteous man would share as the righteous stuff that he does. He said, when he gave a parable about a righteous guy and a, and a publican, and the righteous guy got up and said, I, I fast and I regularly tithe everything. It's like, yep, yeah, righteous people. Righteous Jews, maybe this is what you were thinking of. Yep, I expect that you're tithing. So the New Testament more or less assumes that Christians, at least Jewish Christians, are still going to be following the law and giving the first tenth or twentieth or twenty-three point three percent to their gross income every year, like any other good Jews, right? Or did Jewish Christians stop paying tithes to the synagogue even though they kept attending the synagogue and temple? Before the temple was destroyed, there was a temple service. Yeah. Um, remember, in, in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says he had no intention of destroying or otherwise invalidating any parts of the law. So I'm, not, I'm not doing that. We sometimes sit there and go, everything, everything, everything in the Old Testament just goes away. And go, well, no. There are some specific parts of the law that we're told specifically this has been fulfilled, or the best way of doing this is now this, or what have you. But it's not like there's a free pass. Even when Paul says you're no longer under the bondage to the law, it's not like Paul goes, yep, so all that was bad. In fact, he says, nope, all that was good. It just never saved anybody. But yeah, there's no part where he said, no, stop being Jewish automatically. What about non-Jewish Christians? Because we know they're non-Jewish Christians. Right? Even though Timothy got circumcised, we don't know that he well, if he got circumcised, maybe that was so that he could go to temple and he could go to synagogue, and so he would be a lousy Jew if he didn't pay a tithe to that. But all we know is he got circumcised. He became a Jew with that, or at least outside. I don't know. What about non-Jewish Christians? We're never really told. There's two logical possibilities here, right? One is they weren't expected to give like the Jewish Christians were. Stinks to be you, Jewish Christians. Y'all are Christians, and y'all sit here in people's homes and do Bible studies together. Emily's a, a, a Gentile Christian. Hi, Emily. Welcome. You have to give 23.3% to your synagogue. She doesn't, but you do. It's possible. It's possible you just find yourself as a Jewish Christian. Really? Really? Maybe. There's arguments for that. The Jerusalem Council... They did not talk about tithing. They, they did not. They just said, you know, these are more Well, specifically, they're basically, the, in Acts 15 in Jerusalem Council, James basically said, you know, avoid food sacrifice to idols, strangled things, sexual immorality. Basically saying, get out of, like, pagan services. You can't be involved in any of that kind of stuff. And say anything about tithing, one way or the other. But if the, the other possibility is that they were expected to give, like the Jewish Christians were, to some degree or another in some kind of equivalent. I don't want to read too much into that, but it is. It's possible either either half the, the, the church was giving a quarter of their stuff and the other half giving nothing, or the other ones were like, God's like, well, the, the principles in the Old Testament are still sound, right? First two tithes in the Old Testament were because they were commanded, right? They were principle, right? So tithes implied for non-Jewish Christians. Try to apply everything that we've been talking about here. First tithes had nothing to do with commands. So even in the absence of any direct command, still probably be thinking that tithes, giving 10%, is a really good general rule of thumb. Even if we're never told to tithe, still was a good idea for Abram, still was a good idea for Jacob, still was a good enough idea that God made it a command. Good general rule of thumb. 
Though to apply a New Testament principle, everyone should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, right? What? I just want to go back to that, because when you mentioned before, you um, skipped over, like, we said, okay, this is writing to Gentiles, and you said, well, no, it's mostly Jews. But it was in Corinth where it said, uh, that's it, from now on, I'm going to go to Gentiles. We went to Corinth and was rejected by the Jews in the synagogue. So, yes, he starts there, but most of the church becomes Gentiles. So, when he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, they were mixed. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. When he's specifically writing to the church in Corinth, they're mixed, but let's even say that the majority of, of, of church members in Corinth are, let's say, 90% of the, which is no way for us to know, let's say 90% of the church of Corinth is Gentiles. Are there still Jews in the church? We don't know, but probably. Um, there are several books that seem to suggest, well, if I'm getting wrong, we know that there it was decidedly a mixed group of Gentiles and Jews in, in, in the church. So we know that there's at least, uh, I'll start off this way. We know that the first several thousand members of the church were completely Jewish. Right? Acts chapter 2. And we know that they began adding enough Gentiles to that that the Jerusalem Council had to figure out if we're grafting some Gentiles onto this, what rules do they have to follow? And we know that, you're right, in, in, in Corinth, Paul said, all right, I'm, I, I'm, that's it. I'm, I, it's pointless for me to try to reach out to the synagogue directly here in, in Corinth. That's, that's not working. That's, I'm, I'm going to the, to the Gentiles. I think we can still safely say that there's a whole lot of Jews in the, in the capital C church even if I don't know what the percentages are in Corinth. My point is, let's get back to this. Um, even if you're a Gentile and you've never been specifically commanded to tithe, biblical precedent would suggest 10% is still a good rule of thumb. That's what I've been given. <clears throat> but like I said, apply a New Testament principle, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, right? Of course, that has nothing to do with tithing. Not at all. In fact, the context of that, the verse right before that, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And generations of prosperity doctrines take care. Weird places. I'm just getting at, if we read verse 7 as, oh good, I don't have to give as much. I think we've ignored verse 6, haven't we? I'm not saying, well, you should give more because then you'll receive more. That's a dangerous way to apply these verses. I'm just saying, if by the time we get to verse 7, we go, whew, I don't have to give as much, yay, more for me, perhaps we've ignored reading verse 6, walking into verse 7. Which reminds me, again, none of that has anything to do with tithing. It's all the Corban stuff, all the over and above stuff. So, when you tithe, if you tithe, then your tithe really should come off the top your gross income, not your net income, should come out of your first fruits, right? If you're going to tithe, if you choose that tithing is what you should do, because I want to follow the biblical example in the Old Testament of tithing, even if I'm not a Jew, I'm choosing to do this. If you are choosing to do it, do, do it right. It's like people say, could you, could you, do, um, could you do communion um, with peanut butter and jelly and a glass of milk? Sure. Do you have some sort of? No, you can't. Theoretically, it's all just food and drink. But why not do it closer to the way that Jesus actually said? I mean, you might go, no, I can do it with crackers. You can well, technically. It's not how Jesus commanded us to do it. It's not how he did it. Therefore, you cannot do it with, with milk and peanut butter. No. Okay, we got to go to wine then. we got to go back to wine then. Well, if you ask Brian, he would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard Jesus command us to actually do it with these specific elements, but rather he used these specific elements in the Seder to express what he's commanding us to do. All of which is an ironic argument in that my point was, why not do it the way that Jesus told us to do it, or, or, or exemplify doing it? Could you potentially be baptized by me pouring sand over your head? Yes, but no. why? <laughs> 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 
since my point is, why would you do it that way? And Mars says, God told us to do it. Right? Yes, that, the word itself literally means to immerse. Does, does it immerse? I thought it meant immerse in water. Yes. Well, actually, no, it means, it means immerse. Because you would baptize cloth and dye and bring it back up. So immerse in liquid and bring it back up. Anyway. Why did I ever start this? <laughs> My point is, if you're going to do something biblical, try doing it the most biblical way that you can do it. That's the point I'm getting at. And all those of you going, no, we should do it the biblical way, please listen to my conclusion. <laughs> the idea is that you should probably do it the biblical way if you're going to tie, tie their first fruits. But then, if non-Jewish Christians are still implied to be at least <laughs> encouraged to do some version of something like tithing, but we're not part of the temple or synagogue anymore, to what should we tithe? If we're choosing to tithe, to what? Clearly, there's an Old Testament precedent for tithing to that centralized place of worship. Right? It's to support the people in ministries directly ministering to you and others through the work of the Lord. That's, that's what the, the command was issued to, to, to point us toward. And there's a New Testament precedent in verses like 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14 that Christian pastors should receive, or Christian churches ultimately receive an income from their churches in a manner analogous to the Levites. Paul even specifically uses that analogy. He says, like the people working in the temple got paid. Which suggests that the basic financial support structure of the church should be roughly echoing the basic financial support structure of the temple. Which suggests that our tithe, or at least the majority percentage of our tithe, should be given to the work of either our denominations or our local congregations, however the financial structure is set up. That at least suggests that. So that that work should be continued and giving toward other ministries, like missionaries or the impoverished church in Jerusalem, should probably be over and above that, or at least a minority percentage of that, just like it was in the Old Testament. Because if you say, well, but I, I want to I give tithe like the Old Testament, well, that's, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. Well, I want to do it like the New Testament. Well, that's the way Paul set it up in the New Testament. This should be over and above any other giving that you're giving. Okay. So could, could that imply, at least uh, potentially, that uh, a church should give a tithe of their tithes to help other ministries, like those missionaries and other kinds of ministries? Just sure. Like the Levites had to give. That makes that makes good sense. This is why Wendy and I tithe. This is why we as a church give to our denomination. This is why we as a church carve out part of our church budget to specifically give to missionaries and other ministries. Exactly that. But there's no hard fast commands about any of that. Not to non-Jewish Christians. So we're back to the Old Testament principle. Figure this out, right? You've got to figure out what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly, or under compulsion. Any church that says, well, this is what you have to do, because the Bible said you have to get this much, is ignoring scripture to do it. Because there is no command for non-Jewish Christians specifically in this. There's implications, but no command. Which, when you think about it, kind of reflects the hearts of the first tithers, like Abram and Jacob, who said, no, not under, not reluctantly, or under any kind of compulsion, I I choose to do this. I want to give the top 10% of my stuff. That's what I want to do. Not just the top 10% of the money in my pocket or even the money in my bank account. But the top 10% of everything. If I'm a landowner, top 10% of my land. If I'm a craftsman, the top 10% of the stuff I make. If I'm a musician, how do I give God my best in my music? How do, in every part of my life, we might pick on the Pharisees for, for tithing their spices, but that's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't picking on them for tithing their spices. He's picking on them for doing that while ignoring the whole point of the tithing in the first place. But the idea of tithing your spices, that was them saying, 
every part of my life, I want to give God the first fruits of. And that is a good thing. Because again, Jesus is presenting that as like the ultimate example of righteous tithing. Yeah. Knock yourself out. But if I sit there and go, well, you must tithe your spices, well, now I'm kind of undermining it because there's no rule about that, and now I've undermined it doing it not under compulsion. Okay. If so, I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I just know that uh, my memory is going. That there was more of, I don't know which church it was associated with, that was if you haven't given your 10%, and as a believer, that likely you would not be raptured if you would be left here until you fulfilled your 10% giving. I don't doubt it. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of permutations to that, let's yeah. say. There are some that might go that far. There are some that I know say, if you do not follow the Old Testament law, you are not obeying God. And if you're not obeying God, you're in sin. And if you're in sin, you're going to go to hell. So if you do not give 10%, you're going to hell. To that, I would say, no, you should be giving 23.3% or you're going to hell. <laughs> but I don't think that that's wise, and I don't think that's even what the, what the Old Testament was saying. Because Paul makes it very clear in the New Testament, the law never saved anybody. Following the law or not following the law never had anything to do with salvation. And so the idea that we would suddenly retroactively say, in order to follow the law, let's apply it in a way that the law never did. Unwise. But yes, there, 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 there are prosperity doctrine teachers that sit there and go, if you don't give at least 10%, God won't bless you back. There are people who say, if you don't give at least 10%, you're a horrible Christian. So to you, whether you give a tithe, you're not Jewish. I would say it's a good idea. Yes. Um, to bring history into this, do we know that when I say early church, the early Catholic church, if you want to keep under this, did they have any rule or... or That's a good question. Or any, uh, um, yes, but I don't know when it kicked in. I didn't look that up. That's a really good point. It, it, it relatively quickly within the first chunk, within the first couple centuries of the church, it became we're not part of the temple, so our tithe should go to the church. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure who suggested that or, or when that became. But it became church canon really early on. But the but the point that was being made was, well, you've got to give that you've got to give that ten percent. To, to a church ministry, and you're no longer part of that temple, so it should go to Rome, or to your little diocese, or what have you. But I'm not sure when I keep that. Yeah. I just want to go back to something else. Like, we kept saying the 23.3% or whatever. You didn't explain how the 23.3% were on there, but... No, I didn't. Um, but the, as far as that second 10%, it was pretty clear when you described it, that that's actually broken down between stuff that was supposed to be used for festival partying. Well, more than that, but yes. And a portion that's supposed to go to the poor. Right. So this is not, they gave 23% to, or 20% to the temple, to the Levites. It was, that was still just 10%. It right. was, you know, this 10%, depending on which year it was, it was sure. helping the poor, or actually used for worship celebration, but you're actually paying for your own food. Yep. So when we're thinking about that, we should not, it's, it's not analogous to say, well, we as Christians who want to imitate that might want to give 23% to our church. Like that's not the same thing. Not exactly. And uh, no, the reason I say exactly is because we have portions of our church budget that, that are designed for, is there, are there line items in our budget designed for food for youth? Are there line items in our budget designed for food for fellowship events? Yep. Are there line items in our budget? Or maybe I'll say, are there, are there funds designed for benevolence for the poor? Are there line items in our budget specifically designed for additional ministries like, like missionaries and things like that? So theoretically, I hear what you're saying, but it's not just, no, this is only 10% of the No, actually we have specifically built into our church budget some of the stuff that would be in some of those other percentages there. My point being, I don't want to have anybody say, clearly, we're supposed to get 10%. It could theoretically be 12% that you're supposed to give to the church. If you really want to reflect this, there's a reason why, I genuinely believe, the New Testament doesn't say, so y'all should give 10% or 23.3%. What I'm saying is, that's what the Old Testament tithe was, ultimately, 
23.3%. I don't know what you're going to do. I've never looked at any of the numbers of what anybody's ever given, nor will I. For all I know, Michael, you give 40% or 4%. That's between you and the Lord. I would never know it. Counters would. I don't. I don't care. My point is, my point is, here, it shouldn't just be whatever's easiest. It shouldn't just be the stuff that you write a check for. Every part of your lives, you should take the top. Whatever, even though the word itself means ten. Throw top whatever and give it to the Lord. So let me summarize and apply something. And in doing so, let me remind you, I hate talking about money. I really hate it. In part because I've actually got a lot more discussion today than I have gotten in most of the of the history classes that I ever did. Because this is something that means a lot to people. And it should. I just want us to think about what it means and why it means that. This is good. But I hate it because all of a sudden, the moment I start talking about money, and I'm not saying that anybody's done anything wrong, but the moment I talk, start talking about money, it gets a lot more interesting to people. For whatever reasons. So let me apply this. Should you tithe? You're a non-Jewish Christian. Should you tithe? Yes or no? It's not up to you. It is not up to you whether or not you tithe. It's not up to me either, whether or not you tithe. It's not up to the church, because that would be compulsion. Nope. There's no clear Bible teaching on the action, so it's ultimately up to God. Not up to you, not up to me. You need to pray and ask God what you're supposed to do. Sure, it looks like it would be a good God-honoring idea. First, several ties. Well, I'm even a command about it. So I'm going to encourage you, not a bad rule of thumb. How much should you tithe? 10% is if you're, the definition. It's the definition? But it's, it's not up to you. Yeah. Right. And it's not up to the church because there's no biblical teaching. But a tithe is 10%. If you wanted to tithe, you should do 10% at least. Exactly. But you can make a solid case that at least the top 10% of your gross income, because that's what the word tithe means. And that was the biblical precedent for it. Though case could be made that, like we said, given how we break things down in our, in our various church budgets and stuff, that no, maybe you should be giving more, because that's what breaks down to being some of that second tithe. To, uh, what should you tithe? Yeah, everything, but it's not up to you. And it's not up to the church. Because there's no clear, or, or two times, sorry. I said what? That's to what? I should read my own notes. To what should you? Should you tie it to the church? Should you tie it to ministries and large? Whatever. Not up to you, and it's not up to the church. Though in both the Old and New Testament, there's a precedent that would suggest that, that the basic tithe, or a major percentage of the tithe, or whatever, should go to your central place of worship, because that's what they're building stuff around, and that's you expressing that you're part of the people of God, set apart for the Lord, Etc., and that other ministries should technically be over and above that, or a minor percentage of that. But you know what? That's up to you. It's not my job to tell you that because there's nothing in the New Testament for me to hang that on, for me to command anything. If you find yourself saying, well, then I'll get less to missions or missionaries or uh, Christian Children's Fund, well, please don't hear me say that. It's not even remotely what I'm saying. If you say, well, I wanted to give 10% to the church, but what I should do is give 7% of the church and 3% of the Christian children's fund. Now, if you really think you should give 10% to the church, give 10% to the church and 3% to the Christian children's fund. You go, well, that's hard. I don't care. Is that what you genuinely think God is telling you to do? I don't know. I'm going to pray more. Because I really would encourage you to do what God is telling you to do. Don't do what, well, I have to do 10%. Nobody told you you had to. But if God told you you had to, then don't. Don't chunk that. Don't, don't ignore that. What stuff should you tithe? And that's, that's what Kelvin's getting at. Again, that's not up to you, because the Bible's very clear. Everything. Every part of everything. Tithe everything. Tithe the first bit of everything. Every blessing in your life. 
So think about it. If you're supposed to be living sacrifices, if you're supposed to be living this out as an act of, of worship to the Lord, if the top of everything should be going to the Lord, how, what would that look like in Romans 12? What would that look like in Romans 6.13? To genuinely say, all of this is already God. How should you tithe? Bible's very clear. With a cheerful, generous heart. Appreciate everything God has given for you in your life. Don't do it grumpily. Don't do it stintingly. Happily. Joyfully. Give to the Lord. Say, thank you, God. How many times have you heard me, when we're taking an offering on a Sunday morning, how many times have you heard me say, um, bless those who give with joy? How many times have you heard me say that you're not being generous if you give to the Lord? It's His already. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. He doesn't need your money. So why do we give? Because it's his already. And we want to remind ourselves, wait, this was never mine. I'm not giving God 10% of my stuff. I'm keeping 90% of his stuff. And saying thank you that you gave me 90%. I genuinely appreciate that. Why should you tithe? Because you're commanded to tithe? No, at least not directly. But you should tithe for the same basic reason Abram tithe, the Jacob tithe, the Paul asked the churches to give over and above their tithe. Because everything we have comes from the Lord. That's what Brian was coming back from earlier. Everything we have comes from the Lord, and we want to be thankful. We want to remind ourselves of those blessings. Our life is not our own, and our stuff is not our own. And also, the resources that the Lord uses to work the, the, uh, the, the ministries of his church? Sure. It's not my time. Yeah. And it's, in essence, part of the reason, you could look at it this way, part of the reason we tithe is the same reason that I tell my children to share their toys with one another. Because... Yeah, she's playing with that, or yeah, he's playing with that. Well, your toys are ultimately not yours. They're God's. So what would God like you to do with your toy in this moment? It, it's, the same, it's the same principle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, or if you want to secularize that, because um, even, even non-Christian parents would say, because it's the family's toys. It's not yours. It's, it belongs to something bigger. So in Acts chapter 2, everybody put all their money and all their resources together and said, as everybody has need, let's do this. This isn't my money. It's our money. Because all of it is God's money. All of it is God's food. All of it is God's houses. All of it is. And how do I, how do I say thank you, Lord, for that? So, true or false? Christians are commanded to tithe. Well, false. We're not commanded to tithe. However, <laughs> the people of God were commanded to tithe in the Old Testament. There's a wonderful precedent for that in the Old Testament. The first several tithes had nothing to do with commands. And we are commanded to give. And tithes are a good rule of thumb. And if we do do that, there are certain rules of thumb to what tithing itself actually means. So in a way, yeah, we're commanded to tithe. I've got to be really careful when I say that. All that points back to the basic misconception. There are people who know their Bibles who will need to tell you, no, Christians are never commanded to tithe. And they're right. And it's just not quite that simple. There are a lot of people a little less familiar with their Bibles who will tell you, no, we're commanded to tithe in Scripture. Which you never are. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. We're going to talk about a lot of misconceptions in this class. Things that people thought they knew. Moses is a prince of Egypt, right? By So let's stop over the next couple of weeks, look at scripture and say, what are the things that we only thought that we knew? I'm not going to try to push any specific theologies over another theology. I just want to go back and say, are there things that we have read a thousand times and thought we knew what we saw? Jonah swallowed by a great big whale. Mm -hmm. 
Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for everything, every blessing that you put in our lives. Thank you for every opportunity, every resource you put in our lives. Help us to actively, tangibly thank you and say, Lord, all of this is yours. And I pray, give us wisdom. We know, we know that we should give back to you. We know that we should make an offering like Abel did. We know we should make an offering like like Abram did. We know we should make an offering like Jacob did. We know that we should make an offering like Paul asked us to do. I, I pray, Lord, lay on our hearts what that would be. But help us, like Abel, to give with the right heart. Unlike him. Help us to make sure that in all things we genuinely glorify That in all things, if there's a biblical model, help us to do it that way. And so far as it's up to us, give us wisdom, give us joy, and be your people. In Jesus' name.